Beginning in verse 1, God says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to know what it looks like to obey and honor our parents? Would we, like your son, live in a way that is faithful to our parents on earth as we want to be faithful to you, our Father in heaven? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, in our study of Ephesians, we're now in that section from chapter 5, verse 22 through 6, verse 10, where there are three sets of relationships that have been shaped by our faith in Christ. Before this, God gave instructions for the Christian marriage, and following this will be guidelines for how the Christians should live in the workplace. And in contrast to that culture, the culture of Ephesians, we've seen that both sides of the relationship have obligations, not just wives, not just children, not just slaves, but also husbands, fathers, and masters have obligations. But in contrast to our culture, we've seen that authority exists and is good. You know, these instructions challenge our culture because we are very cautious of authority. We're told to question authority, resist authority, and that we should be true to our own selves. However, what even is authority? Well, authority is basically the power to make a decision that affects others. Thus, even something that's not alive can have an authority over you. A traffic light moves from green to red and then back, and it affects, or at least I hope it affects, the way you drive. We can submit to that authority or we can resist it and go cruising through red and we can stop at green. But the issue is that the authority, whether non-living or not, must be, or we have to choose to, submit to it. And the living authorities, like parents, city managers, bosses, whatever, they make decisions that can have good or bad effects. You know, our culture often reports the abuses of those authorities, and so we often think of authority in a negative light. And sadly, those abuses do exist, sometimes even in the church. However, while those exist, we should realize authority can be very beneficial for us. You're that wonderful piano teacher. Parents clamor to have their children be under her tutelage because she will help them improve. Well, that wonderful coach gets everything out of their athlete and makes such a good experience. In other words, authority can be very good. And so we have to realize both sides because we can be overly trusting of authority or we can be overly skeptical of it. And ultimately, all authority exists because God created this world. And as the author of it, he made humans in his image to reflect him and his authority. So when we use our authority as he would, we bless others. When we use our authority for selfish reasons, we harm others. In regards to parents and children, we'll see this week God's commands to children and how those can be a blessing to them. And then in later weeks, focus on God's commands to parents. If you have a bulletin, the outline's pretty straightforward. The first verse is, obey your parents. Second one is, honor your parents. And then, added to those, is a promise of blessing from God if we do that. But first, in 
chapter 6, verse 1, Obey your parents. And this section begins with a direct, directly addressing children and calling them to obey their parents. Now, I want to pause. Notice something about this. An implication, and that is that Paul assumed that children were in the worship gathering. He doesn't say, parents, when you get home afterwards and pick up your children from all the other events, I want you to talk to your children about what they should do. He says, children, assuming that when the church gathers, the children who can understand are there in their midst. Now, we don't need to get on our high horse that our children are in here in our midst. Well, boy, aren't we a great church? But it's an encouragement that we should see the benefit of having children with us, as that's been the norm throughout church history. But back to the main point. Here, the command is that children are to obey their parents. Notice this is not meaning children should just obey adults. It's saying your parents. Now, yes, of course, parents at times then trust their children to other adults, and they should obey them then. But the clear command is to obey your parents. And I want us to notice what obedience looks like by seeing how people, nature, even demons responded to Jesus' command. So we're going to spend a few minutes in Mark. So flip back to Mark's Gospel, and we'll begin in Mark chapter 1. And we'll read verses 23 through 27. We'll be looking at several passages in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 1, first, verses 23 through 27. It begins in verse 23, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, and then he gave this command, Be silent and come out of him. And then notice what happened. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. You know, what did obedience look like? What entailed immediately? Fully, and then after Jesus' command, without questioning, doing what Jesus said, even though they didn't want to do it. They submitted their wills and actions to Jesus. So flip over three chapters to Mark chapter 4. We all know this story, that Jesus had a long day of ministry, and then he gets with his disciples in a boat, and they cross the Sea of Galilee at night. But notice verse 38, Mark 4 verse 38. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And then what happened? And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? You know, what did it look like when nature obeyed Jesus? Well, the exact same thing as with the demons. It immediately, fully, and without question, did all that Jesus told them to do. Or flip back to Mark chapter 1 again. This time, we'll look at verses 16 and 18, where Jesus gives commands not to demons, not to nature, but he gives commands to people. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they are fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now Jesus did not suggest to them that they follow him, but rather he called and commanded for the fishermen to follow. And like the demons, like nature, they immediately, fully, and without question did all Jesus said. In like manner, children, when your parents tell you to do something, you should immediately, fully, and without question, do what they say. Not, okay, I'll obey later, or after I finish what I want to do. Now, yes, there are times when you could appropriately ask, could I have a minute to finish this? Yet if they say no, then you should start obeying right away. And obeying entails fully doing the job, so immediately, fully, fully doing the job, not half doing the task, and then wandering away. Nor doing a sloppy job, hoping your parents will go, well, I'm never going to ask them to do it again, they don't do it right. But doing it fully, to the best of your ability. And without question means that you don't ask, oh, Dad, do I really have to? Really? Like now? Now, again, of course, there should be a way in homes that you can respectfully ask for explanation. However, it should always be from you with the understanding that if mom and dad give an explanation that I don't even understand, that I'm going to immediately, fully, and without question, obey. And an important qualification, or even maybe better motivation and orientation, is given in back in Ephesians 4. Um, stay in Mark, though. But in Ephesians 4, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's what motivates us, is we want to do this in the Lord. Thus, if your parents tell you to lie to explain why you're late, then you should not obey. If they encourage you to do anything that goes against what God has told you, then you must respectfully say, as Peter did in Acts 5, 29, we must obey God rather than men. And the flip side of this, though, is that to obey your parents is to obey God. God gave you the parents that you have, and to disobey them is to disobey God. And parents, we need to be clear on that. We don't get to tell our children what to do since we're bigger, since we're smarter, or even since we pay the bill, so that will later be an important factor. The parent is put there by God, not because of their ability to pay or their smarter intellect, but because we are to reflect Him to our children. And sadly, even as Christians, we just don't put, put much importance on obeying. Uh, when I was in college, I worked at a Christian camp, and that was about the time when cell phones were becoming more and more common. And for various reasons, the camp I worked at decided we are not going to let children have cell phones at camp. Well, maybe that was a good or bad decision, that's not the point. But they clearly communicated this, and they had every parent and child sign a document saying, we're not going to bring a phone. And yet every week, we would find children with phones, and without lying, they would say, well, my parent told me to go ahead and bring it in case there was an emergency. So here they're sending their children to a Christian camp to learn about the Christian worldview, about leadership, about all these things. But the whole time, they're undermining what they're doing because they're saying, but you don't really need to obey if you don't understand or agree with what's being said. And yet all of this talk of obedience makes 
even Christians very nervous, because isn't this legalism? Now the word legalism, if you've not heard that before, before it's used in Christian circles, to refer to the idea that if you obey God's laws, the word legal is in there, if you obey God's laws, then you will be made right with God, or you'll be saved. And we should be very concerned not to teach that, because the Bible is very clear. We're not saved by what we do. It's not that we keep God's laws that saves us. It's what Christ did for us. We're saved by grace through faith. Yet we should also note that while we're not saved by keeping God's law, the Bible is clear that the evidence or fruit of salvation is a desire to obey God's law. Thus, Jesus asked in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Or 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ and take every thought captive. Well, why do they do all this? And then it says, to obey Christ. Or Peter's first letter he begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Then he makes some other introductory remarks. And then he adds the purpose, he says, for obedience to Jesus Christ. His whole letter is written so that they will obey what Jesus said. And this isn't some idea that the New Testament authors came up with. What was Jesus' final commission? Go therefore into all the world making disciples. And one of the things he said is, teaching them to observe or obey all that I commanded you. That's why it's dangerous. It's a very dangerous error to think, look, I need to obey so God loves me. That's not true. It's also an error to think that obedience is incidental to honoring God. In fact, we're still in Mark. So flip to Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Because notice what Jesus says he thinks about doing God's will, God's commands, obeying them. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 31. And Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You know, what matters to Jesus ultimately is not your physical family. Your parents, being believers, will not save you. Your brothers and sisters trusting in Christ will not get you to heaven. Growing up around and being in a Christian home does not mean you are adopted into God's family. No, amazingly, Jesus says that those who do the will of God are his family. Now, notice that important word Jesus used. Jesus didn't say, those who do the will of God then become my family. That by doing his will, that's what earns them the right to become children of God. He says they are. That is an identifier. The way you want to know that they are God's children, the way you want to know you're his brother, his sister, his mother, is that you do God's will. And I've discussed this because we need to see that obedience, whether that be to a parent or any other authority, is not just something for anyone. Like, that's a, well, that's a gener generically good idea that people should do. No, it's the call of every Christian. Obedience is one of the primary ways we honor 
and please God. Thus, children, your parents and home are a training ground for a life of pleasing God by obeying those in authority over you. Now flip back to Ephesians chapter 6 because he then ends this first verse by adding an important point. He's adding what we're saying because he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Your children, you should obey not because it'll keep you from being in trouble, though it normally will. You should obey because it is right in the eyes of God to do so. But my parents are so strict, and everyone else's parents lets them do this. My parents won't change their mind on anything. I'm the only kid at my school whose parents make me do this. You need to let Billy do that when I was his age. Why, or when he was my age. Why can't I do this? Well, no one said it's going to be easy to obey your parents. In fact, we're going to see at the end of this, God promises an extra special blessing that if you obey your parents, He will bless you. And we need to be honest. Parents make mistakes. Parents make bad decisions. Parents are not always consistent. Thus, as I said, there should be a way for us parents, for our children to come to us and in the appropriate time and manner say, could we talk about what you're asking me to do? But at the same time, we need to consider that if they still don't change, will we submit? Consider Jesus when he was 12 years old. Luke chapter 2 reads, And Jesus, when he was 12, went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You know, Jesus did not rebel but rather he completely submitted to his parents. And remember when he did this. This is when he was 12, just before he was 13, a teenager. Teens and preteens, you know that your parents can sometimes be overbearing. Have rules that seem archaic, that they just don't understand life. And in those moments, it's tempting to think, I don't really need to obey because they just don't get it. I know what is best for me. But if there is ever anyone in the world, from Adam to the very last person who lives, who could say, my parents actually don't know what's best for me, it was Jesus. He could say, this actually is a really bad decision. You know, I'm the son of God, and that's not very wise. But he fully submitted to his parents. Jesus even created his parents. And yet he submitted to their authority while he was on earth. So parental stupidity is no legitimate excuse for disobedience. In fact, the main way you honor God now is to honor the parents he has put over you. You know, God is not pleased if you merely come to church, memorize scriptures, can give all the right answers to all the Christian questions, and claim to be a Christian. Those are all good things. But he wants more than that. He demands a heart that loves, obeys, and honors him by doing that for the parents he's put over you. Now we've already said this, but God's command is not just for external obedience, because Paul's going to dive deeper in verse 2 into the heart by calling us to honor 
are or your parents. So second section, beginning in verse 2, honor your father and your mother. And notice it says honor and mother. Not just honor the parent that you respect, enjoy, or doesn't embarrass you. No, honor both of them. Now what does honor mean? Well, the word literally refers to something weighty or heavy. It's giving the impression, it's giving the idea that parents are an important or weighty role in God's world. Just as we give respect to important people like presidents or police officers or principals, so we should see that parents have a weighty role that should be honored because of the decisions they make and the influence they have. And the way we honor them is both with our attitude and the gratitude that we show them. And notice that God desires not just obedient actions, but also respectful attitudes. In other words, God desires a heart-oriented response to Him and those He's put in authority over us, and not just external actions. That's why Psalm 100 will say, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. It doesn't just say, well, serve God. It doesn't matter how you do it. You can groan and complain the whole time. All he wants is that external action. No, he wants from our heart service with gladness. Or Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling and complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. As we show our honoring to God by not grumbling and complaining, so we also show honor to our parents when we don't grumble and complain about what they say. Rather, we pray for God's grace to cheerfully honor and obey our parents. Thus, though our culture has this expectation, look, well, they're a teenager, they're going to be sarcastic, they're going to roll their eyes, they're going to backtalk, the Christian teenager should seek to put those sins to death. Yes, your parents will make decisions that you think are totally dumb. Yet to honor God is to honor the parents that He gave you, even with a cheerful attitude. You know, for all children still under their parental authority, when your parents call you to do something, huffing, stomping your feet to your bedroom, or any other attitude that undermines your honoring them is dishonoring God. So children, do you talk to your parents in a way that shows them respect? Is your tone and body language one that shows this person deserves my honor? Or does it show that they think, or you think in your eyes, they deserve your scorn? And sadly, like obedience, parents often undermine their children's respect for authority. Your parents, how do you talk about your boss or your pastor or your spouse or government officials? Though it's obviously not wrong to disagree with those people, is there a respectful disagreement or muttering, back-talking, and slandering them? Would you be fine with your children honoring you in the way that you honor the authorities in your life? You know, sadly, you've probably heard, if I have heard, people say things like this. Well, don't tell your dad that I'm letting you do this. He won't like it. We'll be our little secret. 
Well, there's no greater, greater way to undermine the authority and the honor in a home than for one of the parents to be saying, they don't really get it, so I'm going to let you do this. But along with honoring our parents with the right attitude, so also we do it with our gratitude. You no know, parent is perfect, but in numerous ways, your parents have sacrificed for you. You know, the sad reality is we often don't understand or appreciate how much our parents have sacrificed for us until we're then making those sacrifices for our own children. You start having to pay the bills, giving up hobbies and free time and chauffeuring your children around and you go, wow, my parents did a lot of stuff for me. And so recognize the way your parents are sacrificing and loving you. But for how long do we need to obey and honor our parents? Now, it's interesting. If you look at cultures throughout the world, there's not always the same answer for when obeying should stop. And except for leaving and cleaving, that when someone's married, they should no longer obey their parents, I don't know that we can be overly dogmatic in obedience. However, I think the general goal of parents should be as their children age, whatever age they are free, that you're giving less and less commands and you're giving more advice and instruction so that when that day comes, it's not like, oh, I, the child, now need to make all these decisions for myself. That you're nurturing and shaping them to the time where they will be their own authority. And as a culture, we declare that 18 years as an adult, which at the very least connotates making one's own decisions. And as children move out on their own, pay their own bills, I think the idea of obedience really lessens, if not completely going away. Yet while the idea of obeying lessens, honoring one's parents continues for your entire life. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 22 says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Your earlier we had read Mark 7, and in there, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for failing to honor their parents. And yet Jesus was talking to them as adults. He was saying, this is something you even need to do as an adult. In that situation, they were feeling, failing to honor their parents because what they were doing was saying, well, mom and dad, we'd love to give you these things to help you, but we promised them to the temple. We're doing them for God. And sadly, people have a way of disobeying God while they do things that they think are honoring God. Thus, if your parents say, go clean your room, it's not a legitimate excuse to say, but I'm reading my Bible, you can't make me. You should honor your father and mother. Yes, if your parents have taken your Bible away and will never let you read, then at some point you need to read it, but... By and large, our devotion to God should not be a smokescreen for wanting to not obey our authorities or love those around us. And let me give two ways that we can continue to honor our parents through all of life. First, we honor our parents by getting their input on important decisions. This means keeping them informed in issues in our life and not just coming to them at the last minute asking for their blessing. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to listen to them. You know, I don't think obeying lasts. Sadly, I had a friend in college who was going to marry someone of another race, and his parents told him he shouldn't. Well, he rightly didn't listen to them. Yet, in general, 
we honor our parents by seeking to keep them as part of our life and getting their advice. And this takes effort. In our mobile society, it's easy to lose touch. And so, as children, we need to continue to reach out with and keep a relationship with our parents. Second, we honor our parents by caring for them in their old age. It should be a joyful duty to take care of those who took care of you. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul is giving instructions to the church of how they should care for widows. And he then says in verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, he's saying the care of the widows and elderly in your family is so essential that to neglect to do it is being worse than someone who's not even a Christian. And this care for parents should be holistic, providing for them financially, relationally, physically, spiritually, and every other way you can mention. And so what that looks like is going to vary from time to time. And let me just mention one thing. While there are good reasons at times to use nursing care facilities to abandon, desert, or dump a parent to one is a gross negligence of God's calling. Now, please don't hear me wrong or have false guilt. There are times that elderly parents need full-time care that you just can't provide. And if you're in those shoes, then you should use the resources that our society has. Yet be active in visiting making sure they're actually getting quality care and that they are honored to the grave. God's love is sacrificial and it can be a great testimony to God's love if we sacrifice by caring for elderly parents. And that may mean major sacrifices. It may mean losing time with friends. It may mean having less travel. But it is a great gift that you can give them and honor God as you honor your parents. And just like Jesus modeled obeying his parents, he also modeled for us honoring his parents, specifically his mother. He did this because Jesus made plans for the welfare of his mother. And the astonishing thing is that he did this even on the cross. John chapter 19, 26 and 27 says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus was enduring the physical, emotional, and spiritual agony of the cross, and yet he made plans for the ongoing care of his mother. And similar to Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 11, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I think we would say, Be imitators of Keith and Tracy, and that the way they care for Wes and Judy. You know, interestingly, this command has a unique blessing attached to it. That's the end of verse 2 to the beginning, or all of verse 3, because it says, This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So the third and last point, God's promise of blessing. And Paul's saying here, look, this commandment is the first one with a promise. Now, it's the first, not the first commandment of the ten, but it is the first commandment that has a promise to it. And Paul mixes Exodus 20, 12 and Deuteronomy 5, 16. And he mixes them and takes both of them 
and gives this verse. Not only is it a mixture, but he also slightly modifies it for our new multinational identity. God's people are no longer just the physical descendants of Abraham. We saw this back when we were in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, where it said, Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Thus, the promise to us is not the land in Palestine or Israel or whatever you want to call that section by the Mediterranean Sea. God has promised us the whole earth. And he says that here, he says, that you may live long in the land. And the word for land there is earth, that you will be blessed in this. And it was not just the fifth commandment that promised blessing for obeying parents. Here is Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Like jewelry that enhances one beauty, one's beauty, so God tells us that obedience enhances one's life. Or later in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 through 23, it says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Here, Solomon is exhorting his son, saying, look, the faithful learning and implementing of my advice, which is based on God's word, will keep you safe. Not only that, but by adhering to them, you'll be on the path of life. And all of this is pointing to God's blessings to those who obey and honor their parents. And yet, why does God give this special promise? Well, we could give several good answers to that, but one is I think that God knows the challenge it is for sinful humans to submit to our authorities. We've all been under a parent's authority at some point, and it was, or it can be, very difficult. Sometimes their rules seem to make no sense. And all your friends, so it seems, get to do this very thing. And we then feel the temptation to break the rules because in doing so we think life will be more enjoyable. Yet God says, look, you want a long, you want an enjoyable life? Then obey and honor your parents. Your obedience, even to rules that you think are dumb, blesses your life. And now we know one of the challenges of Scripture is that sometimes these promises are not fully experienced here on earth. Yet God does promise that one day all things will be made right. So every single obedience, every single refusal to go along with your friends and what you know your parents forbade will bring you a reward from God. And you must cling to God's promises because to go against your peers can be extremely hard. Yet cling to the truth that God will reward you living for Him by obeying parents even when it may cost temporary popularity and friendship. Now as we conclude, I want to just note one thing because for some this whole idea seems repugnant. Obey your parents because you think you're going to be rewarded for that. 
Aren't we supposed to obey without any thought of what we're going to get from it? Well, the philosopher Immanuel Kant taught that, but that's not what the New Testament teaches. If we read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he talks about praying, he talks about fasting, he talks about giving to the poor, and each time he makes a contrast. He makes a contrast between what people will see and reward you for and what God will see. And in each one of those he says... If we do our good for God, then your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus was trying to motivate us to do good because God will reward us. Our Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. While we shouldn't demand win, God will reward us. We should expect that in his time, he will reward us. In fact, the point is, believing in God, trusting God, is not just believing that he's out there, but that he is the type of God that rewards obeying and trusting him. So in conclusion, Jesus faithfully obeyed his earthly parents. And also, Jesus obeyed his eternal father, in heaven. You know, on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus went to a garden to pray. He knew of the cross that was before him and the loss of fellowship he would have with his father so that he could take the wrath we deserved. And in that garden he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know, Jesus respectfully requested a different way. But then he obeyed all the way to the cross. He did it to obey his Father, and he did it to save us from our sins. In response to his amazing love and sacrifice, may we obey and honor the parents he has given us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your Son. The way that he perfectly modeled and lived out what we haven't done. And so we look to him not just as an example, but as our Savior. And so we ask forgiveness for those ways that we have not obeyed or not honored our parents. And ask that we would be faithful to them as we seek to be faithful to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.